moments often in the morning, noontime, in the afternoon and in the evening we can just draw close to have moments with you because you're always with us. You never leave us or forsake us. And so Father, we as a people gathered together here, assembled, we thank you for Pastor John, for his safe return. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for everything that you accomplished while he was away because you had him go. And we thank you for everything that he had to go for. And now he's back and you're going to show him even more. Even more. This is our prayer for him. But this morning he comes to bring us a message from your heart, Father. We are receivers. Oh, Father, the transmission that comes today is no, there's, the transmission will be pure and sure. But we are in training to become excellent receivers of your word, Lord. And so this morning, that's how you find us as a people, as you bring words of spirit and life through Pastor John. In Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I declare that your hearts are ready to receive everything that God has for us today. Are you in agreement with that? I pray that the Holy Spirit flows freely and surely amongst us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Glory to God. Praise Jesus. It's really good to see all of your faces again. I saw many of you yesterday. For those that weren't here yesterday, welcome back. Hallelujah. As I said yesterday, there is no place like home. Uh, there is, uh, when you have significant relationships with people, then the relationships become the thing that make your life sweet. And uh, we, are, we are destined and designed by God for us to walk together and be together. And that's a sweet thing. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I've got lots to share with you. Yesterday I shared some uh, of, of just some of the activities that I have undertaken. But on my travels, but I want to do just remind you of something that uh, that has been happening over many years. Faith is as much about what you say as what you do, because faith without works is dead. So you can't say, and this is 
what the word says. You can't say you have faith and then you have no works to show for your faith. The way that you can see faith is by what you do. There are a lot of people that say a lot of things about what they believe, but you can't really see what they believe. They only say what they believe. So I have a revelation. So if you were here with Dr. Kerry yesterday, you will recognize and understand that he, as a medical doctor, had a pursuit of a revelation and a passion that he received, and he put works to his faith. And he pursued knowledge, and as he pursued knowledge, he got more revelation. The more revelation he got, the more he chose to live by the knowledge and the revelation that he received. So now, if you, if you talk to Dr. Kerry and you heard a lot of what he said yesterday, um, you will touch a man that has a strong belief that if you live right, you can prevent sickness and disease from coming to your body. Uh, in an, from, just from the ways that the devil wants to destroy you. And like I said yesterday, the devil doesn't have to work hard to destroy most of us. He just gets you to eat whatever he makes you think you can eat in the world, and you destroy your own body. So he doesn't actually have to try and bring sickness on you. He just has to make you eat what the world says you should eat, and sickness comes in you, right? Now, obviously, the devil can bring sickness and disease to your body as a spiritual thing. A demon can attack you and bring sickness to you, but that's addressed spiritually. So he wasn't talking about the spiritual thing. He was talking about things that you can do naturally to overcome or prevent sickness and disease. Those are all good things. I'm really wanting to share with you that he received a revelation, then he pursued the knowledge that gave him more revelation. And the more revelation he got, the more knowledge he received, the more he pursued the people that had that knowledge and revelation themselves. And so he broadened his community of references that he could get knowledge to increase his revelation, which in in turn increased his knowledge. Right? Well, that's the same with spiritual things. If we talk about faith and finances, for example, there are many people in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that don't believe that God wants you to prosper and that all prosperity must come by the work of your own hands and not by God's way of doing things. But Jesus is clear. He said, if you seek my kingdom first, then and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you, not by your works, but by your pursuit of his kingdom, of his way of doing things. Now, if you don't have a revelation of that, you will not pursue more knowledge of that. So you will shut that knowledge off and you will say, that's not for me, right? Now, I have a revelation and the revelation that I have is that God gives you an assignment, not to an organization, but God gives you assignment to a people or a person or both. So for people to say, I'm assigned to a company, I'm assigned to an organization, I'm assigned to do a thing. No, that might just be the vehicle, 
but your assignment is to a person and a people. God will never assign you to a legal entity or a legal functional way of doing things. That's just always gonna be a vehicle. He's gonna assign you to a person and a people. That's what the body of Christ is. I have a revelation that God supernaturally brought me into a relationship with Brother Jerry Sabel. Now, if I believe that, then I have to seek God for what he wants in our relationship. So, uh, if I can have the first slide on of the, of the pilot, I did, they did show him yesterday briefly. But this man, Brad, this is just a picture that I took in, in a little town called St. John in Canada where we briefly stopped with the aeroplane. And uh, it's just, I took a moment to take a picture of this, this pilot, Brad. Now, Brad is a highly skilled, uh, very competent pilot. Uh, he was in the military. He, he uh, flew um, choppers in, in the military. He was actually in some forms of action, flying choppers in the military in the, U, in the, in the U.S. Army. And he later went into, into flying commercially and is a highly skilled pilot. I, I don't know what his, his financial relationship with Brother Jerry is. But I can tell you this, that he doesn't live in Texas. He lives uh, in another state. And uh, he has to fly his own aeroplane, which is a tiny little aeroplane. He flies his own aeroplane or drives his car. Every time Brother Jerry wants to go somewhere and he's the pilot, he doesn't fly everything, but he flies probably 80% of what Brother Jerry does. He has to fly <coughs> to Texas, to the airport, so that he can fly Brother Jerry wherever he wants to be. Why would he do that? Because he feels that his assignment is to fly Brother Jerry. Other pilots have come and gone that are co-pilots with him, but he stays with Brother Jerry. In fact, what happened was, and Brother Jerry, on this trip that I was with, he told me the story because we had time and I asked him about the story, you know, and... And he said, well, uh, Brother Copeland was the first to, uh, and I'm not just sharing here. There is a lot to learn here. Brother Copeland made Brad an offer to fly for him. They interviewed him. They thought he had all the right credentials. He was on the short list. They were very keen on employ him. Brother Jerry saw him and felt a strong connection to him in the spirit. But he said nothing. He never made, he needed a pilot at the time, but he said nothing. Why? Because Brother Copeland, who he honored first, who Brother Jerry's assigned to, was interested in, in hiring him. So he said nothing. He just left it in the hands of God. Well, Brother Copeland went through the process. They decided that someone else had a different skill set to him and that he would be better integrated and they had other reasons for employing someone else, but they chose, I'm talking about natural reasons. But so Brad was left unemployed by Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Let's just put it that way. Brad phoned Brother Jerry 
said, Brother Jerry, I was going to be working with Brother Copeland. That hasn't come about. And I wanted to offer my services to you. The first question Brother Jerry asked him, and Brother Jerry made sure that I understood clearly what what he did. The first thing Brother Jerry did was pick up the phone and phone the head of aviation in Kenneth Copeland Ministries and and ask them, I have this guy Brad here. I know that you guys have been interviewing him. I want to understand that you are not employing him that you are no longer interested in him and that he is not likely to be employed by Kenneth Copeland Ministries, certainly anytime soon. And the head of aviation said, that is correct, Brother Jerry. He said, so I am going to talk to him with the, with the view of employing him in our ministry. He said, go ahead. I don't think there are many ministries that would go to that extent to preserve honor Because most people will just see opportunity of a skill that they can use. But the result of such a careful connection means that the assignment has space to grow. Amen. And so, of course, uh, I have a a wonderful relationship with Brad because I respect the fact that he's called to Brother Jerry. And he recognizes that, that I'm, I'm one of few people that get to fly as much as I do with Brother Jerry. Hallelujah. I just want to point out to you that I'm wearing a Jerry Savelle Ministries jacket. Brother Jerry gave that to me on the plane, on the Falcon 50. He said, this is your jacket to wear with us when we're flying and it's cold. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But I want to take you back to 2016. And my journey started with Brother Jerry in 2016. And that should be the next picture. Well, what happened in 2016 before I went with Brother Jerry to Cuba, I went on a motorcycle rally, and the man who took me on the motorcycle rally was none other than the man who started cowboy churches in America. He was the first man who started cowboy churches in America, and his name is Dave Simmons. And Dave Simmons has had a, a, a ministry connected to Brother Jerry for a long time. I have preached in his church a number of times, Pastor Sharon. I've been there together. I've done many services for him just when I've been there. And I, I, had, I had a move of God. I just had a desire in my spirit, man, to connect with him while I was here, while I was there saying, Dave, we are likely to have a, a farm that's got 32 horses. And I just felt in my heart that I should be connecting with you. And when I shared some of the things with him, he said, John, I feel a supernatural and a divine thing going on you. And I'm open to be part of it in any way that the Lord leads you. So praise the Lord. You have to pursue things. Now, I couldn't have had a meeting with him if I wasn't there. So 2016, I was on a motorcycle rally with him. If I go to the next picture, 2016, I was privileged to be part of an interview between Jerry Savelle and Kenneth Copeland. And I was the only outside person besides the family 
that was, uh, while this hours of this togetherness between Kenneth Copeland and Jerry Savelle was happening. They were interviewing Kenneth Copeland and Jerry Savelle for, I think it was at the time, 50 years of relationship together. 2016. This is taken by my cell phone. This is not a stock picture from a magazine. This is my cell phone taking this picture. Come on. Do you remember? That was the first time the Lord said, I want you to go and spend five weeks in America. And I couldn't, I struggled with it in my soul. And the Lord said, I want you to go, John. And I struggled and I struggled and... And then I said, well, who does this? We do. Right? That was the first time the Lord had me do this, 2016. Next picture, please. This picture was taken at uh, one of the few remaining hotels that are functional in the the country of Cuba. And we were sitting on the veranda of the hotel having a Cuban coffee. Not a Cuban cigar. A Cuban coffee. And I think that's all the pictures. Have I got one more? Is that it? I think so. Yep. I just wanted to remind you that in 2016, the Lord said to me, go and spend time with Brother Jerry. I was privileged at that time, not knowing that they were going to do this special thing. The special thing with Kenneth Copeland and Jerry Savile only happened while I was on, in, in America. The, the finalization of it only happened while I was there. And I was there, and Brother Jerry said, I want John to be part of this. And uh, there was some pushback, but he insisted that I was part of everything that was going on. And then we went and I did the motorcycle tour, which was the second motorcycle tour that I had done with Brother Jerry after I had obeyed God to go and get my motorcycle license. And, uh, well, I just did it again. We just did it again. Because you sent me. And every time I go there, it is a strong uh, revelation of the fact that I put and we put our money where our mouth is. We put our actions where our faith is. Because I go there because I believe in divine connection. I believe in divine assignment. And I believe that there are things that are happening in Brother Jerry's world that I need to be part of and that things are happening in his world that he wants to share with me. Because if we have that divine connection, then that's the way it needs to be. If I don't see that as something significant, then I don't make the time to go there. Now, because I act on my revelation, I receive more knowledge. The more knowledge I receive, the greater my revelation. Other, other ministers will not take the time to do what I've done. They won't spend the resources to do what I do. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you how good God is. This is just a quick testimony. When I went to the US, I fully expected that I would pay my own way. That our ministry, we would pay my expenses. Hotel, so wherever Brother Jerry goes, 
I pay my hotel. I don't expect Brother Jerry to pay my hotel. Where, when he goes to be with Brother Copeland, he doesn't expect Brother Copeland to pay his hotel. He pays his hotel. I was, I was in the USA for about 30 nights, I think. The number was about 30 nights. Of the 30 nights, I think I paid six nights worth of accommodation. You know, I, I went to Brother Copeland's victory campaign. And uh, the night, the last night we were there, on the Friday night, we were flying out on Saturday morning. Um, and uh, so I went to the... To the uh, hotel reception to go and pay my bill. My, my room was reserved by Kenneth Copeland Ministries. My room, Tony's room, and Brother Jerry's room was reserved by Kenneth Copeland Ministries under their block booking. And, but as, as always is the case, Brother Jerry will go and pay his hotel. So what he does is Tony takes the credit card, goes down to the reception, pays his room, even though it's booked by Kenneth Copeland. This always happens. So, Tony, as we were coming from the, from the Friday evening service, Tony says, John, remember, we've got to pay our hotel bills. I said, Tony, I'm going to go and put my stuff in the room. I'm coming straight down, and I'm going to do this right away. He says, I'll see you down in the lobby. So, when I arrived there, I said, I'm here. This is my name. This is my room number. I want to pay my bill. So, they are checking, and they say, you can't pay your bill because it's being paid for by Kenneth Copeland Ministries. I said, no, no, this is not the way it works. They've reserved my room. I have to pay for my room. So they go through, they call the manager out, the manager comes, next minute Tony joins me. And now he confirms it. And he said, I'm here to pay for my room and Brother Jerry's room. And he gives him the room numbers and I'm here to settle these two rooms. No, sir, you can't. Why not? It's paid for by Kenneth Copeland Ministries. That's not the way it works. They reserve the room. We've come to pay for the room. They go through a process again. We can't actually take your payments. Kenneth Copeland Ministries have prepaid for these rooms. You cannot pay for them. They're already paid for. I think that's favor. Hallelujah. And so it was everywhere I went. The churches that I went to with Brother Jerry, they paid for Brother Jerry's room. Most of the time, they just paid for my room. And then there was a few nights where I was just with Brother Jerry, and he said, no, John, I don't want you to pay for your room. We're going to pay for your room. I said, Brother Jerry, that's not why. He says, just receive it. Just receive it. I said, yes, sir. Praise the Lord. How good is God? There's a recognition of divine alignment and divine assignment and the connection of these things is important. And if you pursue it because you believe it, then more knowledge and more revelation becomes yours. There's a photograph of Kenneth Hagin that you've uh, done. Can we put that photograph by Kenneth Hagin on? This is a photograph that I was talking to you guys about yesterday. Scott Webb gave Pastor Sharon and I each a photograph that he reprinted, and this is, this is the relationship that Scott Webb had with Kenneth Hagin, that he took this photograph at his church. Now, Scott Webb went to Rhema Bible Training Center. He believed 
that his divine assignment was with Kenneth Hagin. And so Kenneth Hagin's would come to his church. And Scott Webb ended up traveling with Brother Hagin and doing many things with Brother Hagin. He became a close friend to Kenneth Hagin, Scott Webb, who was at Brother Jerry's minister's conference. I believe Scott Webb will be here sooner than we think. What Brother Hagin is doing here is saying three to one. And the three to one is, Kenneth Hagin said, you have to do three times as much teaching as a minister on what you say than what you believe. Because believing comes from saying. So when you say, I'm believing God, then every time you say, I believe, you've got to be saying three times more what you say you're believing for than to say you're believing for. And he said, so you have to do three times as much saying about what you're believing than what you say I'm believing for. Three to one. So he did a whole series of messages at the minister's conference about three to one. Hallelujah. And again, I believe that there nothing is happening, happens in our lives by coincidence. I confess that all the time. Every, every relationship, everything I do, everywhere I go, I'm believing that everything is by divine appointment, by divine timing, by divine initiation, by divine uh, cooperation, and wherever it's not, I believe that wherever I step into something that is not divinely ordained, that it becomes divine. Because what is the point of living our lives in our own world when we can live in God's will? What is the point of living by your own design when you can live by God's design? His hundred times blessing is on His design, not your design. So when... You read the Bible and, you, and the Bible says you will get 30, 60 and 100 fold return on the word of God. That is the return you get on the word. So I've been meditating on this a little bit and, and I just put something for your thought. I'm not saying this is everything yet. I'm still receiving uh, um, revelation on this myself. But is it possible that the reason you only receive 30 fold return is because that you're only capable of receiving 30-fold return because the other 70-fold of your life is your design life. Whereas the 30-fold return is where the Word is designing your life. When you receive a 60-fold return, it's because the Word that you're speaking is bringing your life into order with the Word that you're speaking. Therefore, you get a 60-fold return on that. Where you get a hundredfold return is the word that you're speaking, where your world, your, your world and your, your will is directly in alignment with the word and the will of God, and therefore you get a perfect return. Come on. What I'm sharing with you is based on the scripture. You will know the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So is it possible that 
you're always getting a return on the Word of God, but how much return you receive is how much your design and your life and your world and your will is in line with His will and His Word. I'm already preaching good this morning. Hallelujah. I'd like to read to you from 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read to you from chapter 15, verse 58. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So let's work enthusiastically for the Lord because whatever we do for the Lord, none of it is useless. Could I rephrase it and say it to us? Everything you do for the Lord is useful. Everything you do by the design of God, by the will of God, for God is useful. The inference of what Paul is saying here clearly is that actually if you do anything according to your sin nature and not according to the nature and the will of God, it's useless. How do I get that? Because verse 56 says, for sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. In other words, don't let the ways of the world system control your future. Be immovable in the way that you live for God. Because as you live for God, you become useful. Nothing you do for God is useless. This is a great thing. Hallelujah. Okay. Are you all with me this morning? Yes. Praise the Lord. When I was, uh, so part of the reason I wanted to show you 2016 is I've been doing this for seven years now, at least seven years. 2014, I took a group of people with me in the month of November, and we spent two or three weeks in the US. So if you take 2014 as the first time I did this as a significant event where people went with me and I've been going for extended periods of time, it's nine years now. That means for nine years I've been pursuing what I believe in my heart on the matter of, at least, with more time and more energy and more resources. How many of you know that if you do something for nine years, that's a good indication that you believe something? Yes? yes? So I've been traveling to the USA for significant periods of time for a long time. When I was in the corporate world, I traveled around the world quite extensively. And over the years, I've been to many different countries and all of this time, even though I would go with the vehicle of a corporate job and I would go uh, with that kind of mindset that I was going to be doing a corporate function, you know, you go there first always as a believer. Wherever I went 
it didn't matter where I was going to do a job. I was going as a believer that was doing a job. My believing Christ's nature goes with me wherever I go. And I'm grateful and thankful for that because wherever I go, I have the Christ nature in me that helps me assimilate and adapt and respond to whatever I need to do because the Spirit of Christ is in me to help me do that. Amen. So, over the years, I've observed some things. But this time when I was in the U.S., it's never been as... as uh, the gap has never been as clear to me and as big to me as I saw it this time. Over the years, I've seen the popular culture of a nation, of a group of people, the popular culture, the embedded social culture of people. I've watched how the social culture that is in any kind of country, that is in any group of people, bearing in mind, I showed you that I've also been to Cuba with Brother Jerry, I've been to Italy with him, I've been to the UK with him, I've been to places across America with him, there's been many different places I've been to in Africa with Brother Jerry, so I've been there with him in his apostolic capacity, serving an apostle, watching him deliver the Word of God into cultures, observing the cultures at the same time. At the same time, my gift is there too. So, uh, never have I, and I've always observed this popular culture that is evident in a society at war with the Word of God, at war with the ways of God. So, how many of you know that the way people live with each other sometimes can be so strong in its cultural demands that when you say the Word of God says I should do this, the culture says not in our culture. You first submit to the culture, then whatever's left, you can do the Word of God. Otherwise, your fanaticism, they will call it, your radicalism, as they would call it, would reveal the darkness in their culture. And they don't like that. No culture likes that. I want to make reference to Ethiopia. Ethiopia as a culture has such a strong Orthodox Christianity that the Orthodox Christianity has literally ruled that nation for more than 50 years. To the point where that Orthodox Christianity and so I would like to refer you to symbolism, ceremonies, and the ways that in which the ways in which the culture works. These things are at the heart of of, of church life and and cultural life. So what the church dictates to be the way is the way the government must respond. So the church is running the government and therefore ruling the whole culture to the point that only in the last 10 years with the advent of a newly elected uh, prime minister who had a vision beyond the culture of the Orthodox church and he, he said, 
And he came into power by the will of the people, not by the influence of the Orthodox Church. Only because he was brought into power without the will, the influence of the Orthodox Church, was he able to bring about changes in the country. They've only had internet services, for example, for the last eight years or ten years. I mean, their, their banking system is by and large still closed to whatever the government proves, approves as a banking system. So I'm just wanting to show you how strong a culture can influence the ways of the people. So along comes a, 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 a group of people that are faith, word, charismatic Christians, and the culture says this is a cult because this new way of serving God reveals the darkness that is in the culture. Are you all with me? So when I, and I, I used Ethiopia on purpose as an example because, because the, the, uh, the culture is by and large Christian. They still, they believe in Jesus. They believe in the resurrected Jesus, the crucified and resurrected Jesus. But they believe in laws and ceremonies and they believe in, in the laws of the Old Testament dominating the life of, of the Christian. So what affected me and what impacted me about the, the ways of, of the, the, uh, the, the, the culture of America this time? Well, what affected me most was a, was a realization of how weak the church is in America. Truly, the church is very, very weak. I can't speak for every church, obviously. I can't speak for everything that's going on there. But I've been going for a long enough time to know and see what's going on there. And uh, it was amazing to me to see how weak the church is in America. The culture, the liberal culture of I live for me, I live for myself, and the church must serve me in the way that I live for myself and I live for me. And I, uh, I need the church to serve me and present me with the best possible version of the way that I want to live Christianity. And on the basis that you serve me with the best version of the way that I want to live Christianity, wherever that church is, Wherever that church is revealed on television or any other way, that's the church I'm going to connect with because that church gives me the best possible way of the way I want to serve God, the way that I want to be a Christian. Now, if that culture is getting stronger in America, what do you think is going to happen to the Christians that are going to be more disciples? that says, I'm not here to have the church serve me. On the contrary, I'm here to serve the church. How different are those, how different is that worldview? I'm here because I need the church to serve me, or I'm here because I want to serve the church. How different are those worldviews? They are completely opposite. Are they not? They are completely opposite. So the more the church gets 
oriented towards you serve me with the best possible Christianity that I can serve God the way I want to serve God versus I'm here to serve the church. The more you get to serve the church, the more you are going to live in a revelation of the power of the church because you are here to serve the church and therefore the power of the church is released to you. If you say, I'm here for the church to serve me, then the power of the church can never be revealed to you because you're only there for as much as it can serve your agenda. Therefore, the way that you choose to serve God is the only way that you want to do church. Come on. That's not a whole lot of different to what's beginning to happen in South Africa. Why? Because how many of American-related ministries are served to us through television, served to us through other ministries that want the Americanism of church to be in church? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying this because I'm speaking against the church in America. I want, I'm praying for the church in America. I'm thankful to God for what the church in America has done because my divine connection through Jer, to Jerry Savelle and Kenneth Copeland and these people is because the church in America had a missionary mindset that says, let's go and touch the world. But the way the church was and the way the church is now, two different churches. And it has changed within the space of 50 years because the Kenneth Copeland that started in the church 55 years ago, and Jerry Savell that started in the church 55 years ago, that church and this church is two different, different churches. Amen. I've still got time. Are you still with me? Are you still okay with what I'm doing today? I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 1 in the New Living Translation. Am I not as free as anyone else? This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. In fact, I probably need to read to you quickly from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, let me go here on this on this. Chapter 3, I think it will be verse 1. Let me see here. Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. Notice what he puts together here. I had to speak to you as those who are in this world. Who are the people that are in this world? Those who don't have Christ. Those are the people in this So I had to speak to you as though you don't have Christ because your thinking and your ways are so overtaken with the world that I had to speak to you the same as I talked to them. In other words, no light. At the very least, I had to talk to you as baby Christians. 
who are so immature in understanding that I had to simplify the way I speak to you so that you could understand it. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. He, he wrote this verse on the back of chapter one and chapter two, where, where actually he's addressing division in the church. People were saying, uh, who is Paul? Is he, a, is he an apostle or isn't he an apostle? And what about Peter and Apollos and all of these guys? And we, want to, we follow them and we don't follow Paul. And there's division in the church. And that was a sign to him that this was immature, that they were like the world in their thinking. I wonder how much of that is in the church of the Lord Jesus today. So much division, so many different ways. Okay, let's go back to chapter 9. So, am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus, our Lord, with my own eyes? I mean, he didn't see him like that in the natural. He saw him like that in the spirit on the, on the, on the, on the road to Damascus. Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in our homes and share your meals? Live in your homes and share your meals. Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as the apostles of, and the Lord's brothers do, as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? So he's addressing a financial issue here that directly relates to the question of his apostleship. So now I wonder why it is that he had to talk about being an apostle. Because they were, if you can question someone's work in the church, then you can question whether he's a messenger that's worthy of financial support. So he's addressing it here. It doesn't matter if others don't receive me as an apostle. To you I am. And it doesn't matter that they have wives that they take with them everywhere they go and they are supported by the people because they are the original apostles. Barnabas and I go about the Lord's business the same way. So we shouldn't we also be entitled to the same stuff? This is what he's addressing. What soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Am I expressing merely a human opinion or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one, the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seeds, seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? 
If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. I want to just say this about the scripture. I have a vision. I have a vision. And the vision is that God in this church will allow for gifts and callings to emerge in this church. And there is a new young generation of people that God is raising up in this church. And as they go about the work of the Lord Jesus and they work in this church, are they not part of the harvest and the working farmers that must eat from the harvest? I'm not reading the scripture so that I'm talking about me. I'm grateful to the care that you give to us. And you are wonderful in caring for Pastor Sharon and I. I'm reading the scripture for a younger generation of people that God is raising up that is going to labor and work as hard amongst us and are already working as hard amongst us. And God is desiring to, to, for us to be in a place where as their gifts are raised up amongst us that we feed them from our table. Are they not same ministers in the household of faith? Are they not also called by God to serve us? Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. The preaching of the good news is not just by what I'm doing today. There's a lot of stuff going on around in this ministry that enables us to preach the good news. I could not do what I'm doing. You could not do what you're doing if it wasn't for this. I mean, God is so good to us. This is the year of the maximum. It's not over yet. Even though the year of progression is ahead of us, the year of the maximum is still upon us. And we are going to experience more in 24 than, the, than this year that we've experienced now. And in this year, I had it on my own thing and I mentioned to you, I said, you know what we need is we need a, a generator. Well, God took care of the generator. I mean, I didn't even talk to you much about the, the fencing outside, but we had uh, the potential for cars to be broken into, and there were one or two instances where they stole a car and they tried to steal a car. And I just said to the Lord, we need to have a fence. But the kind of fence that you get to put around this thing is an expensive fence. Yane, have you seen what's happened outside? I didn't even raise an offering for the fence. It's the year of maximum. My highest expectations are already being met. Praise the Lord. But I have an expectation. I have a vision. 
that we will have enough resources in the ministry, that whoever God brings here to be here on a permanent basis to work in the ministry, that God will supply the needs of those that He calls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. I, don't, I want to be a little radical and a little purposeful in this, but I just want to say this to you. If, you, if, you are th- if you're thinking and you are going to go on holiday and you're going to spend the money on a holiday, think about what that money could do if you were sowing it into the lives of young people rather than go on holiday. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just trying to give you a comparison of how much money can mean if you took your money holiday and gave it to the lives of supporting a young person in the ministry rather than taking one holiday, just one holiday how much that money would benefit the work of the Lord Jesus because they had an income that was coming in rather than enjoying a holiday. I'm not saying you mustn't go on holiday. I'm just trying to draw a comparison that if you just go about saying, uh, this is the way I use my money all the time, maybe you should allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you about how you you use the money all the time rather than just be in a, a rhythm of all the time. Yet, I have never used any of these rights, and I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet, preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me the sacred trust. What then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. I've said this many times again, even though... I might be the lead pastor in this ministry, the lead spiritual leader in this ministry. I am a slave to serving you. I am not my own. I am bought with a price to do this. Many people think if they call to the ministry that they have a choice whether they should be in the ministry or not. If you're truly called by, there are many preachers. There are many people that have gone into the ministry. Many, many people. Uh, In fact, I think the number is eight out of 10 people that go into the ministry do not finish their lives in the ministry. Within 10 years, they leave the ministry. Why? Well, because the pressure is too much. The pressure is too much. But if you are truly called to the ministry, you don't have an option. You have to obey God. You don't have an option if you're called to be a shepherd. You can't say to the sheep that God has called you to, I think I'll just leave you to the wolves for a bit. No, because you have to answer to the chief shepherd. And he's delegated that authority to you to look after the people that he's given you. So you don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. I've got to do this. Amen. Amen. Those people that God has called to walk with you and me, 
They don't really have a choice. You might think they have a choice, but actually whatever God has designed for your life, that is the thing that you have to do. You have to do it. You must do it. And it's a strange thing how God will call people and they might be on a path and a tra trajectory and they might be going in a, in a route and suddenly God interrupts their life. Can I tell you about a man that's most famous on that? Well, isn't that the man named Saul who became the Apostle Paul? He was a tent maker. He was a scholar. He was an academic. He was attending the best university of the day until Jesus came to him and said, stop what you're doing, follow me, I've got a plan for your life. And what's more, I'm asking you to give up the whole university thing, the whole political thing, because those days the academic and the political thing was all connected into the Jewish structure. So I'm using modern day words to describe what Paul was doing. That university thing, that political thing, that thing where you're going to be governing the children of Israel through the Sanhedrin, through all of that governing power. I'm asking you to give that up because I've got a plan for your life, Paul. And what's more, I'm not just asking you to give it up. I'm telling you that you're gonna suffer such great persecution and I'm going to show you in the spirit how big your persecution is gonna be so that when you get there, it doesn't surprise you. And you have to make a decision up front. So I'm showing you what persecution you're gonna go through so that you choose up front to obey me. This is the same man that's talking. The same man that's writing this letter. I'm a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. <clears throat> Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. Notice he didn't say I become weak like them. He says I share their weakness. With his strength he shares their weakness. He doesn't say you shouldn't be weak. He says I understand your weakness. He has my strength but I don't bring you down for your weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I'm not just pretending that my life is purposeful. I'm actually living a life of purpose. And I'm not just shadow boxing with an unknown entity hoping that I strike a blow. I know what I'm competing against. I know what I'm what I'm, I'm struggling with, and he goes too far as to say it. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So I don't just live my life. The Apostle Paul is saying, is I'm not just living my life uh, shadow boxing with purpose. 
I'm showing my purpose through the discipline of my life. So I'm making sure that the Christ that's in me is dominating my world. And in the dominating of my world, I'm preaching the gospel through the Christ life that is in me. I just want to make a point about this. I run the race to win. Uh, I want you to understand that he's not competing with people. He's competing, if you like. He's competing with the forces that would prevent him from walking in purpose. He's competing with the forces that would prevent him from achieving his calling. The things that would bring him down, he says, wherever my physical world is challenging me to not complete what God wants me to, I put my body under so that it doesn't have a hold on me so that I can complete my purpose. In other words, he's saying stay focused in the same way that an athlete is focused to win a prize, doesn't eat what they must eat, trains the way they need to train, has the kind of uh, uh, discipline that they need to have so that they can win the race. Because any athlete is not just merely running to run. Come on now. You're not just merely running to run. You're running, if you're a proper athlete, you're running to win. Otherwise, why you go through all that pain and discipline? Yeah. I watched a, I watched a, li- a little clip about the mountain bike race that was ridden while I was away in the U.S. It was the 95, 94.7 mountain bike race that was ridden a week before the road race. I still don't know what happened in the road race. I just know what happened in the mountain bike race. And I was watching in particular, it was a thing about both men and women. And in the women's race, the winner of the women's race happened to be the South African champion. Uh, and she went uh, very early on in the race. She went uh, up a hill. She just put down the power on her bike and she rode away from the field. And she stayed away from the field and she finished four minutes or five minutes ahead of the, the lady that came second. And so they interviewed them afterwards, and, and so the lady that came first, she said, well, I've just come from Europe, and I've been cycling in Europe, and I brought some of that, some of that experience here, and I just wanted to go out hard and see what would happen. The rest of the, the, the lady who finished second, they interviewed her afterwards, and they said, so what happened with, with the, your race with the w- woman who came first? She says, well, obviously... I want to win. But I know the kind of form that the girl is in that won the race. And I know that on her form, there's no ways when she went that I could stay with her. Because she's on that much form. But she started the answer by saying, of course I want to win. But knowing how much form the little girl is that came first, I'm very happy to come second. But she didn't start the race with this mindset, I think I'll just ride to come second. No? She she entered the race with the strong option, I'm going to win the race. Why do you think it is that Christians think that we can live our Christianity with this mindset? 
that it's okay to be any kind of Christian that we think we should be. So I'm just going to choose to ride a race because I have to. I have to. So I'll be a Christian based on the fact that I'm just here to be a Christian. I know I'm a Christian and I need to go to heaven and, and so I'll just be whatever kind of Christian I need to be. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Don't live your life as someone that's just shadow boxing. Don't live your life just as someone that's shadow boxing. Live your life as though you are planning to win this life of Christ. Plan to win against the devil. Plan to win in life. Plan to win at the things that God and Jesus paid the price for on the cross and everything he paid for. Plan to live in those things. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how much energy and how much thought and how much planning people put into their lives so that their lives can be controlled and ordered to what they think the outcome of their lives are. doesn't matter what level ever you level your life is, you still put a lot of thought in it from showering in the morning, brushing your teeth in the morning, eating in the morning, getting in your car in the morning, going to work every day, coming back every day, planning, planning, purpose, purpose, making sure you get everything done, planning, planning. That's amazing to me how much planning people put into their lives, but they don't plan to win in Christ that the Christian component of their life is just whatever is okay is okay. It can only mean one thing to me. It can only mean this thing to me. It can only mean that they don't believe that they can win in Christ. They don't believe that the victory that Christ has given them is available to them to defeat temptation. Pastor Sharon's been preaching on temptation. The reason temptation is called temptation is because the temptation is to draw you away from the purpose that you are supposed to be in. It's to distract you. It's to remove your focus. Temptation. It's designed to make you focus on something else. Apostle Paul calls that shadow boxing. I don't want you to forget, I'm going to chapter 10. I've got five more minutes. You okay with that? Yes. You're still getting something here this morning. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. I mean, these people are led by supernatural signs and wonders. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with them, with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. 
As the scripture says, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to test as some of them did and then die from snake bites. And don't grumble, grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Do you think we're living at the end of the age? I think we're living at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Everybody's experiencing the same thing. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable people. Decide for yourself if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we will eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating and the sacrifices at the altar? What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. Now remember what I read to you in the third chapter. If you remove the chapters, it's one letter. First letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. In the one letter, he starts out and he said, I came to speak to you as those you are not any different to the world. You have no sight or at the least you are babies. Now he's writing to them about temptations and about following the will of God for your life and the purpose of God for your life. And he's saying, I don't want your life to be tempted to worship demons or sacrifice to demons. Well, Pastor John, this is rather radical stuff you're talking about here. You just went from talking about a popular culture in America, popular culture in the world, and now suddenly you're talking about worship to demons. It's not me, actually. It's the Apostle Paul, actually. And the reason I talk to you about the popular culture, because isn't it, isn't it the doctrine of demons that says live as you choose to live? Do what you want to do. Follow your own design. Follow your own desires. Follow whatever you choose to follow in your life. If I speak to you like this, I am 180% opposite to what the rest of the world is saying. Because the rest of the world is saying, you should follow what you want. You should follow your own plan and your own purpose. After all, you've got a brain You've got talent, you've got advantages, use them. Oh, how's that different from the world? 
<sighs> Come on. How is that different from the world? How much do you think the world's culture is about worshiping demons? Come on. All of it. They don't know how to worship God. All of their life is the worship of darkness. If you go and ask them that, do you think you're worshiping demons and darkness? They'd say, don't be crazy. Well, what do you worship? Myself. I do what I want to do. After all, I mean, isn't that democracy? One person, one vote. I vote the way I want to vote and I live the way I want to live. And I choose the way I want to live. Isn't that what the Western world is all about? I did it my way. I still want to do it my way. Don't tell me that there's another way. Don't tell me that there's God's way. I must do it my way. So how is, how is the church supposed to be different to the rest of the people in the world? What is the difference? In what I've just described to you, what is the difference? Isn't the difference to be just like Jesus? Isn't it? So isn't the difference to say what Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Isn't the difference to say, like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've said nothing, I've done nothing other than what the Father said I must do and what the Father said I must say. Isn't that our goal? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul is saying? I've just been reading Scripture to you mostly today. And yet, somehow, this message that I'm preaching to you today, somehow the church thinks this is a radical preach. Somehow the church thinks that what I'm telling you today is, is so indoctrinating. It's so fanatical. It's so radical because no, no, you're just trying to conform people to uh, your doctrine. I say like the Apostle Paul, if I had any choice in this, then I should do it for pay. I'm not doing it for pay. I'm doing it because he called me to do it. The fact that God authorizes us to eat from your substance so that we can keep on preaching the gospel is the way of God. It's not the way of men. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying as I was writing, as I was reading it to you. So, is it strange to you that in our day today that what I'm preaching is considered indoctrination? It's considered fanatical. It's considered radical. And yet the world system can push down our throats that you have to accept LGBTQIA, whatever, AI, whatever. It's all artificial intelligence anyway. They somehow think this is intelligent to be LGBTQ+. It's artificial intelligence. It's not intelligent. Now before I get 
And this is the sign of a modern time that I have to even say this. I'm not against LGBTQ plus people. They are welcome in this church. I am against the spirit of darkness that says that they can follow whatever sexual preference they want to follow. That is not the way of God. But they want to tell you that you are racist and prejudiced and you are phobic in whatever phobia they want to tell you you are, that you are phobic and they want to shove it down our throats. Every day of our lives, they want to shove it down our throats. But I stand up here and say, you must follow Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. You must love the Lord your God. And they somehow say, this is fanatical. Somehow they say, this is radical. This is indoctrinating. Um, I have this strong radical thing that God has placed in me from the beginning and having come from a culture that is more and more giving themselves to the worship of demons and the worship of idols and idolatry and they don't even know it. Pastor Sharon spoke about this in one of her messages. This tool has become an idol. Young people don't even know do you know that in the USA there are millions of young people that are reading uh, who's the guy who was uh, who orchestrated the 9/11 Bin Laden They are reading a letter that Bin Laden wrote to America Somebody managed to copy it, find it, put it online, and all these young people were reading Bin Laden's letter to America on TikTok. Millions. Suddenly, you've got all these young people marching in the streets of New York and Washington and London and Australia, and they're all marching for Hamas. Where do they get this stuff from? Where do they get it from? They get it from TikTok. Influencers on TikTok, on Instagram, on different places. Because they live their lives in the identity of social media because they don't want to live in anybody else's identity. Because this is convenient for them. And so the devil says, the more I can isolate you, the more I can kill you. The more I can isolate you, I can give, make you do demon worship. I can make you, make you be in a place where you don't even think that you're worshiping and you're idol worshiping and you're doing stuff, but I've got you because you're making a choice. Please forgive me if I say this, but you're choosing to drink Coca-Cola. So I don't have to bring sickness and disease to you. The sugar that's in one Coke and the acid that's in one Coke to preserve it will do its job. So just keep drinking Coke and I'll have your health. Maybe not now. Maybe not when you're 17 or 18. Maybe not when you're 25. But just keep drinking Coke because one day you're going to turn 45. And when you're 45 and the hormones are decreasing in your body and things are happening in your body that your body can no longer cope with the amount of sugar that you've been putting into it and acid that you've been putting into it for 20 years, now I've got you. 
And your plan and purpose that is supposed to last 75, 80 years, I'm going to cut it short because I got you from drinking Coke. Auto power off. I wonder if someone's trying to give me a message. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So, if there's anything, and there's many things that God has been working in me, and I've been very careful in my conversation with Pastor Sharon since I've been back, and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, to to many of the people that connected with me while I was in America, many people were asking me about... uh, things that God has been doing in our ministry, that if there's a way that somehow our ministry can impact theirs. And they wanted answers from me. And every time I would say, I cannot answer you. I cannot answer you because I have to hear from God. And I have to know what the will of God is, so I cannot answer you. But I understand what God wants to do here. But just understanding what God wants to do doesn't mean to say that I have to do it or that I have to do it now. Might be for a different time. But I need to hear from the Lord. There are certain things that I need to know for certain before we go about them. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. But I can tell you, that your testimony, the people that you are, Heritage of Faith, Whitbank, Heritage of Faith, South Africa, those people that are in different places in South Africa that are connected to us, all of you, your testimony is worldwide. The way that you live for Jesus is worldwide. Your testimony is known across the earth And you watch in 2024 and 25, there are going to be many ministries that are going to come across the water to us. They've already said so. You watch these ministries that are going to come across the water to us. And some of them are going to come and stand in the pulpit and preach to us. But make no mistake, they're not just coming to preach to us, they're coming to receive from us. Because who we are in Christ is making It's making a statement in the world. And who is that? It's because I can stand in this pulpit and I can preach to you the way that I have preached to you today. And you are willing to receive it. And you are ready to hear it and make adjustments to live it. Because we have been living this way together for time and time. And we are not just starting this journey. We have been on this journey together for a long time. And so... We are a testimony. Hallelujah. And so I urge you, I urge you to keep on cooperating with the Lord Jesus and keep on doing what you're doing. But I want to encourage you to become more of a disciple. I want to encourage you to become more radical because the world needs a people that are completely sold out for Him, Him being Jesus. The world doesn't need a church 
that is not sold out for him. At the same time, I want you to know this. I want to just say this in closing today. At the same time, I want to echo to you what the Apostle Paul wrote when he said, I become all things to all people so that I might win some. When I'm living amongst the Jews, I live like the Jews live, under their laws. Not because their laws dictate my life, but because by living their laws, I get to preach the gospel to them. And he said, I live with weak people, not because I make their weakness my weakness, but because my strength is available to their weakness. And in their weakness, I can preach the gospel to them. So our strength as a church is not meant, it's not meant to bring to people condemnation and judgment. Our strength as people is to be a light. Our strength as people is so that we can be compassionate in an uncompassionate world. Our strength is so that we can be a loving people in an unloving world. Our strength is that we can show Christ to a world that doesn't know how to get to Christ. Our strength is not designed to be inwardly focused. Our strength is inwardly created to be outwardly focused. So as we go forward in this ministry into 2024, it is my highest expectation that we will be so much more outwardly focused, that we will win many more to Christ and we will win many more to the cause of Christ. For Christ and the cause of Christ. Will you say that with me, please? For Christ and the cause of Christ. To Christ and for Christ. Say that with me. To Christ and for Christ. To Christ and for Christ. That is my highest expectation next year, that we will live the Christ life so that we can live as Jesus on the earth and we can be living for the cause of Christ. Hallelujah. That we will be the gospel of Jesus. When they look at our lives, they will see Jesus. When they hear words from our mouths, they will hear Jesus. When they receive anything from our hands, they will receive it from Jesus. And we will live for the cause of Christ in 2024. Hallelujah. And so that will mean that we have to make some adaptions and some changes in the ministry. But you're used to that by now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to me this morning. I've been listening to many other preachers for a couple of weeks now, and I had my chance to preach this morning. Please stand with me. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. We are going to win many to Christ. And we are going to live for the cause of Christ. Hallelujah. We are going to win many to Christ. Are we not? We are going to win many to Christ. Many, many. We are ideally situated as a people to win many to Christ. And we're going to bring them and we're going to live for the cause of Christ. These two live together. They don't live independently. They live together. 
Glory to God. Won't you put your hand on your heart like this and say, I'm a cause-based person. I live for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm a son of God and I live as a son of God. In Jesus' name. By His strength, by His power, by His authority, I live as a son of God. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That is the most powerful thing we can be on the earth is a son of God. Wherever we go. Hallelujah. I pray that the peace of God will rest upon you. That no weapon formed against you will prosper. I declare that the healing power of God is in your life. Healing, healing, healing. Restoring, restoring, restoring power is available to you in 2024. And it starts now. Healing power, restoring power. Healing power, restoring power is upon you. This is not just healing of your body, but it includes the healing of your body. The restoring of everything, God restores all things to you in 2024, starting right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I declare that the revelations that you receive, that you will have the courage and the boldness to receive them fully. And you will live by the conviction of the revelation that God gives you. And that you will have no fear, you will have no doubt, but you will leave in everything that God has put out for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. For you, because you are the glue. God declares that you are the glue. You are the glue that brings those that don't know to those that want to know and become those that do know the will of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, there you go. There was a flow of the Spirit right there. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And so it will be, so it will be, so it will be for you this week, this day. As you go your way, God is going to bless you on the way that you go. Hallelujah. And to you, His glory, He will show. Right now, you will know. Hallelujah. By the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And nothing can stand in your way. Nothing can stand in your way. Because by His blood, He has, pi- he has the price that He has paid. And if you live by the price that He has paid, there is nothing that can stand in your way. And by that thing that He has paid his pr- the pr- price for, that thing that you think you can't overcome, God says, you are the one who wins. You are the one who wins. Glory to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Let us live as those who are strong, not those that are wrong. Because if we live in Him, then by Him we win. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It is my expectation that there will be a flow of the gifts of the Spirit in 24 in this church.
like never before. It is my expectation that these things will show themselves, reveal themselves through all of us in services, in our daily lives, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we will live. And so His glory He will give. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I better quit now. Be blessed in your week. Thank you for coming to church, everybody. Goodbye. One o'clock message moments. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you.